Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloisa, and today's guest is the founder and CEO of My Wellbeing, Alyssa Petersel. With a passion for building communities, Alyssa built My Wellbeing as a means to connect people to the right therapist or coach while supporting mental health providers in growing their own businesses. Alyssa is also a licensed social worker, award-winning author, and a renowned speaker who frequently shares her insights on the intersection of tech and mental health. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll go ahead and dive right in. So can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Yeah, absolutely. So I think like most entrepreneurs, there's a steady thread of problem solving in my personality and in my professional career. I started my career in more macro social work, doing a bit of community organizing and legal advocacy within the Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. I was working to prevent and reduce violence for adolescent communities as much as possible, and that involved a lot of mental health. And from there, I used Kickstarter to fund a year's worth of research in Hungary, which ultimately became my first book, which is about third generation Holocaust survivors in Budapest, building and rebuilding and rebuilding community and integrating a lot of their own identity and cultural heritage into a lot of optimism for the future. And from there, returned to New York, went to social work school. And when I started training as a therapist, that's actually when I pursued my own therapy search for the first time and found that there were a bit more obstacles than I was expecting. And that ultimately laid the foundation for my well-being, which is where we do. We connect people to the right therapist or coach for them. And it works a bit like a dating app, but specifically with mental health or for therapy and coaching. That's amazing. And you know, when we're thinking about where we're at today, just the entire movement of breaking the stigma, mental health, it has truly evolved. Now, granted, there's still much work to be to be done, but it's truly starting to begin to address societal apathy, apathy towards the awareness and then also treatment of mental health disorders. So thinking about your background from more, I guess, the psychological perspective, what inspired you to move into this really bridging an intersection of tech and mental health to create my well-being? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. And I, interestingly, around the time that I was looking for a therapist, I'm definitely one of the entrepreneurs that was scratching my own itch. I am not, uh, you know, a stranger to dating apps, but what really actually opened my eyes to the ways that tech could simplify this process is things like Seamless and Lyft and Uber, where it's really easy. You log in, you get personalized recommendations for what's nearby. There's uh, suggestions for, oh, if you've ordered this from this place before, maybe you'd like that from that place. And the wheel started turning of just learning and using all the ways that tech could really make our day-to-day experiences a lot less stressful, that it felt so silly and so backwards to me that among some of the more stressful things, and if you are experiencing anxiety or depression, some of the symptomology of that can actually make 
decision-making that much harder and can make sifting through hundreds and hundreds of profiles that much more overwhelming. So you can just push off the task of going to therapy or starting coaching that much longer when ironically, you know, there's the chicken and egg of the sooner you start, the less overwhelmed you'll feel. So really wanted to create that simplification in the personalization process and also wanted to bring some light and color and delight and stress relief to the process because I think wrongly so, the therapy search and therapy in general for a long time has been really stigmatized to be dark and stormy and gloomy. And even though we all go through highs and lows, especially over the last two years and with quarantine and with COVID, therapy can really be powerful and it can be an opportunity, it can be a privilege. So we really wanted to prioritize bringing more hope to the process and bringing more of a feeling of support because already people are feeling so lonely and so isolated that finding care shouldn't be something that you have to do on your own. Definitely. And I love the fact that you are going through this this personalization experience. And when I look back at just in general, in order for somebody to start something new, it's a scary process. And the scariest part is just getting there. It's just starting and saying yes. And if you're eliminating the, the barriers to entry per se of access, lack of information, lack of content, lack of support, then ultimately that'll help bridge the gap from A to B, whereas somebody will actually have now this sense of confidence to tap into um, uh, into going into therapy. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Well, one of the things that you just kind of touched on as well is just how this past year has really impacted the industry as a whole and impacted mm-hmm. consumers. And thinking about thinking about it from a corporate employee wellness perspective, We're seeing this just massive shift between hybrid and remote work environments. What trends are you seeing when it comes to the well-being of employees? Yeah, we're seeing massive trends that generally before quarantine, there were companies generally on the leading edge that offered mental health care. Unfortunately, mental health can often be one of the things that's most overlooked by companies. So even though, you know, on average over 90% of employees ask for it and want it, only about 7% of companies and benefits packages pre-COVID really included mental health benefits. And we saw, especially at the onset of quarantine and COVID, a ton of industry leaders, HR leaders, heads of people, heads of culture approach us and say, hey, you all seem to be this mental health company, you seem to know what you're doing in terms of emotional health. My team is having a really hard time and I don't really feel equipped to support them. I don't know how to answer their questions. I don't know where to point them in terms of the benefits we do have. And by the way, we have insurance, we have an EAP, but it doesn't seem like any of the things we're offering are really enough or really you know, hitting hitting the, the nail where it, on the head where it needs to go and really speaking to the nuanced, unique needs that people are having. So during quarantine, we actually rolled out a brand new enterprise-facing offering which is unique from an EAP and unique from a pure digital therapeutics tech play because we do integrate the human expertise of the therapists and coaches that we work with. So generally, we have team webinars that are rooted in a particular topic, be it burnout prevention or stress related to reintegrating into an in-person office or a hybrid office or stressors around parenting and blending your parent role with your professional management leadership role and what that can look like for different individuals. And we also lead affinity groups so that different 
employees and teammates of different identity groups have a safe and empowered space where they can unpack informally with a mental health expert who looks, sounds, and feels similarly to them. So if they are on a primarily white male team and they identify as a person of color, they identify as a woman, they identify as LGBTQ, they can have spaces that are more designed around some of their identity aspects so that they do feel you know, safe to really understand some of the, the ways that stressors that are impacting all of us might have unique ripple effects depending on any cultural or family dynamics that they're holding on to from outside of work. And we've seen really steep requests and utilization of those offerings. We've also seen across the industry that mental health benefits were once a nice to have, and now it really seems like with higher turnover, with more people asking to stay at home or remain in remote only positions, mental health benefits are something that are now a have to have or a must have if you really want to be recruiting and retaining the best talent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you kind of just touched on it as well with one of the quote unquote, for lack of better words, modules that you Mm -hmm. focus on, like the corporate burnout has just created this, this really cloudy, cloudy uh, uh, kind of thought process Mm -hmm. when it comes to employees. And we're so familiar with it nowadays and constantly hearing comments like, oh, I need to leave my nine to five Mm -hmm. so I can enjoy life. And it's usually stem from a lack of work-life balance, misconnection, stress, among others. So how would you recommend employers to start addressing this situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and burnout is one of our modules, as is work-life balance. And I think one of the most important things for companies to do at any size is really to align on what their core values are. Because one of the classic contrasts of company cultures is an Amazon versus a Google. And there's all these key studies about how both companies are, you know, the the bottom line is still super successful, but the actual experience of working there in the day-to-day is very different and is going to attract and retain different types of talent. So the reason I say that is because it depends, you know, to have a culture that is super cutthroat or super um, intense or super adrenaline driven might be a culture that leadership wants, but it should be an intentional choice that they're making. And then they're organizing the rest of their culture and their benefits and their values and their work hour, et cetera, around that, as opposed to it being an afterthought and being something that, oh, if you don't intentionally choose a culture or set boundaries, your culture can spiral into something that you weren't intending. And then all of a sudden there can be these wells that you fall into that you have to dig out of that it wasn't intentional, you know, compared to if, if Amazon is a really, you know, high adrenaline, uh, cutthroat environment, Google really tries to emphasize, you know, creativity and having open brainstorming and having, uh, wellness and therapists in house around the corner, et cetera. So, um, you know, even before things really get to a scale at which it can get away from you, leaders, managers, founders should really be thinking about, hey, what kind of culture do we want? And what are the different ripple effects that might be associated with that? What do we want to get ahead of? So we at My Wellbeing in particular, we are a pretty intimate team. We have six full-time, another 10 or so part-time teammates. And we tend to 
have a very strong work ethic, tend to have teammates that are really ambitious, really committed to our mission. We all tend to lean toward being caregivers as well in terms of our personality archetypes. All of those things can lead to overworking, which unchecked can definitely lead to burnout. So some stop gaps that we've put in, while we technically have an unlimited vacation policy, we've noticed, which is not unique to us, it's pretty common across the corporate world. People tend to underutilize that. So we have something that we call quarterly Fridays, which is four times a year, once a quarter on a Friday that is not a national holiday. We close the company so that our teammates, even if they choose to catch up on work, if they choose to be by their computer, it's fine. But at minimum, they don't have meetings. They don't have Slack messages. They don't have time-sensitive emails that they're, they're sending back and forth nonstop. So it's a chance for people alternatively also to step away from screens, to proactively plan a long weekend with friends or family or to get out in nature. So we've seen things like that are extremely helpful, which for us, we've decided as a business, those four days are not gonna make or break our success. But from a culture and interpersonal perspective, they really do make a world of a difference for a teammate to feel permission, so to speak, to take that time off. And I'd say culturally, it would be amazing, and I think we're working toward this, that there will be a day when people feel more of that permission internally and or they are working with a therapist or coach or receiving the resources to be able to set their boundaries in that way and take their paid vacation time. But there are a million influences both inside and outside of the workplace as to why someone might not feel that way intuitively. And it's really helpful when leadership and when the company itself really sets a precedent and models, hey, like this is actually time off that is intended for restoration. And the same is true for regular vacation. You know, people will look up to see is their manager, is their boss, is leadership taking a seven or 10 day vacation once a year? Or are they not? And then that gives a sense consciously or not of what they are or aren't allowed to do in their day to day. Wow, there's so much definitely to be able to unpack behind that. Um, you know, the first takeaway that I got from this is truly the importance of having a mission, vision, and values. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of organizations are definitely starting to see the value in having a mission, vision, and values, but there's still a lot to come and there's still um, a lot of opportunities when it comes to one identifying them mm -hmm. as a leadership team. And then secondly, practicing what you're preaching mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's my second takeaway that I have with you is that not only is my well-being focused on helping other organizations and other people connect with one another, but you're also stressing the urgency or the importance of mental well-being within your own workforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think to that end, it's really important to have multiple voices and perspectives around the table too on in every possible way that you can interpret that. So having some people who have significant experience setting culture and scaling orgs, having some people who are newer, who are less inhibited to poke holes in systems or to be creative and to really throw ideas out that maybe are super unusual, but maybe they can actually work. And to have people of various different identity groups, racial, ethnic backgrounds, gender identities, because uh, different things will come up and fill blind spots for different people. So even if you think about uh, religious holidays that maybe aren't on a formal national holiday calendar, but would be important to think about and to integrate, if you think about the different experience at work for people who are parents or people who aren't parents, and if leadership generally is in one camp or the other, the other camp is very likely to 
often not intentionally be left out of what some of those policies and practices are. And then you can always iterate and adjust, but from the beginning, the more inclusive that conversation can be and the more outlets from which you're sourcing opinions, the better off your team will be long-term. Mm, yeah, absolutely. There's so much power behind that. One thing that I'm wondering, um, just reflecting on back what you're saying, mm-hmm. is just the evolution of organizations as a whole. Are you seeing that there's almost, I hate to say it, but just different strategies that mm-hmm. leadership, the leadership team should uh, should take when it comes to uh, addressing and bringing more awareness to mental health based off of the growth stages of the company? Mm-hmm. So... Yes and no. I think that this will ultimately boil down to the value set and mission and vision that the company signs up for and opts into. So one company might say, you know, revenue generation at all costs. Another company might say, uh, no working on Saturdays, no matter what. Another company might say, oh, it's important to have... um, you know, representation at the company that mirrors uh, representation of the city that we're live in. So if the city is, you know, 70% this, 20% this, 10% that, but that's the representation we want in our company. So I think um, the, and how much a company wants to integrate policies, culture, procedures that reflect balance and mental health and holistic health really depends on the company's value set. Because there are absolutely companies that would say, oh, well, no, we're going to opt in to a seven-day work week for the first three years of our company, and then we'll figure it out later. There are other companies that say, no, absolutely not. We want to set up with five days. Other companies that say, hey, in order to attract the absolute best talent and retain the best talent, we're actually going to experiment. What if we did four days that were nine hours or 10 hours instead of five days that were eight? And they might want to take that approach and say um, that can give people one out of five work traditional work days a week that they can use whatever, which way they want. And I think what's exciting is we're definitely seeing, especially post-quarantine and post-COVID, that companies are getting a lot more creative around what will and won't work best for their company. I think there'll be a little bit of a adjustment period where companies really see, okay, we thought this thing was gonna really work or we thought that this is what we wanted, but now that we're growing, it's harder to do, it's harder to systematize or it's harder to create equity across the org and equal opportunity across the org. Um, But I do think more and more companies are really thinking about mental health right out the gate. And in my opinion, rightly so. And for us at My Wellbeing with some of the science, I can add and suggest that generally the amount of time it takes to rev up to something like burnout is much faster. It can accelerate much faster than the unwind of if someone does burn out the amount of time and resources it takes to come back to baseline. So if you think about it as a bell curve shape of sorts and shift that toward the front, the line to burnout is much steeper and much faster. And then the recovery from burnout is much slower and much longer. And what that means from, in my opinion, both a health and business perspective is that if you proactively invest ahead of the curve, ahead of the burnout, you will actually have better performance over that period of time. 
than if you run heads down, head first at a goal, but then drive right past burnout. And then you have to invest, say, three to five X the amount of time and resources to come out of burnout when you could have just maintained a steadier level of health and well-being from the get-go. So that's contributing to why we have intentionally woven mental health into how we think about culture and best practices and, and procedure. Um, and I definitely have seen, you know, across the board that people will lean into that to varying degrees, depending on the value set of leadership and of the team. That's incredible. And, you know, there's something to be said about just in general, always taking a proactive approach mm-hmm. when it comes to putting your employees at the forefront and everything that you do in every single organization that I connect with, I'm always mentioning that, yes, like top line revenue is great. Bottom line performance is absolutely amazing. But what's the one thing that's going to get you there? Mm-hmm. It's your team. It's your employees. So you have to take care of them. So true. Flipping it over to the other side, though, you know, one of the outcomes from the pandemic was actually a rise of startup organizations, mm-hmm. which is incredible. There's so many, so many founders. And, you know, one thing, though, is that with founders, they're working tirelessly, as you know, yeah. to kickstart their business. So do you have a perspective on how to prioritize mental health mm-hmm. through the lens of a founder? Yeah. Absolutely. So I started my well-being as a sole founder and as a female founder and as someone who's coming from the social work space where from a fundraising perspective alone, all three of those things are generally not in my favor. (laughs) What I'll say is from a founder perspective, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. I was able to lead and understand every single aspect of the business. And now when I'm hiring and expanding the team, I think having that insight into the different roles is really helpful. Now, all of that said, I definitely have experienced chapters of steep growth, chapters of burnout. A big reason for the burnout was I absolutely worked 24-7. I would have worked 27-7 if that were possible, or 24-10 if I could create more time. And that led to you know periods where I simply did not have any physical energy left. And my physical body had to intervene and say, you know what, we will not tolerate this. So now you're going to have sleeplessness or now you're going to lose your appetite or now you're going to have headaches or et cetera. To the point that during periods of burnout, I would have to pull back to a degree that had I approached it more proactively, I wouldn't have had to. And now moving forward for any future businesses I start or et cetera, I would definitely recommend a more proactive approach. And it doesn't have to be, you know, an unmanageable, super significant amount of time. It can be something as simple as being mind, you know, looking at activities that you do every single day without fail. And for me, one of those is brushing my teeth. So I know I'm going to do it twice a day. I know it's going to be, say, a couple minutes per time. When I'm brushing my teeth, I really try to be extremely mindful of the physical sensations of the taste of the toothpaste, the bristles against my teeth and my gums, how the back of my toothbrush might feel against my cheeks or my tongue. So that's a mindfulness practice. It's not formal seated meditation, but mindfulness and meditation really do prove to improve your mental health, your brain, both capacity, your resilience, your ability to bounce back between various different context switches and emotional changes over time. So for me, especially when I was very short on time, when time was the most scarce resource, that was just a way I was able to repurpose time that I was already spending 
So as I was brushing my teeth, I try to step away from the racing thoughts as much as possible and try to create some space between, okay, I'm going to have a chance to get to those thoughts and get to that to-do list when I sit down at my computer for these two and a half minutes or three minutes or however long, I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to pay attention to these sensations. And you could equate that to, you know, a couple of breaths when you wake up or before you go to sleep. Um, for me, something that's really non-negotiable is I do go to therapy, which is very helpful for me because I go once a week for an hour. If a stressor occurs for me on Tuesday and I know that I have a session on Thursday, it better equips me to compartmentalize because I could say, okay, I know I'm going to have time and space to process that. So I don't have to process it right now or have it get in the middle of whatever it is I'm doing. I'm going to put it over there and then I'm going to revisit it in more depth with support of this trained professional. And I also am very big on exercise. So it's, again, it doesn't have to be two hours a day. But for me, the actual physical, getting my heart rate up intentionally, sweating, is extremely cathartic. And it helps me with regulating a lot of the peaks and valleys that come with entrepreneurship to have a very physical release a couple times a week. So those are things that I would definitely recommend. And again, the exercise could be 5 to 30 minutes. doesn't have to be an hour. doesn't have to be two hours. doesn't have to be every day of the week. But it is helpful to, quote unquote, complete the stress cycle. And that concept comes from a book that's called Burnout that I would recommend everyone read if they have time or if they weave reading into their professional development or leisure time. That's amazing. There's so much, so much that I can resonate from what you just said. You know, one of the things that I've always just spoken about, and I think I actually learned it from my mother, but it's this notion of slowing down in order to go back mm -hmm. faster, in order to go faster. So and true. you're exactly right. It doesn't necessarily always have to be um, going for like a one-hour work. I can be a five-minute walk and be a five-minute session where you're just taking some time to breathe. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact, I, one of the things that you just mentioned was you know, you're repurposing the time that you're already spending so that you can be more intentional about what you're doing and then saving the rest of the thoughts for after that moment so that we can really stay present and be in that moment. And there's so much power behind that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. You know, moving forward though, you know, one of the things that I'm uh, not in being that you're ex you exercise well. I'm sure you're familiar with the Olympics that came mm -hmm. on. Um, Simone Biles was definitely a a hot topic, mm -hmm. and it correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it really opened up the eyes by having such a public figure. When it comes mm -hmm. to having public figures being more open about what's truly happening inside, mm -hmm. it starts to really change the narrative in a positive way, mm -hmm. um, for the most part. Whereas we can see that people are really humans and. When it comes to being a human, prioritizing yourself, prioritizing your own health is truly the most important thing that you could ever possibly do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she set a huge example and it really helps when someone who as categorically or as by definition as possible is an absolute rock star, bad at like quote unquote successful, right? Like there's no, the definition of success is going to vary widely depending on who you are. I don't think anyone would argue that Simone is not quote unquote successful. And to see, oh, people who are, you know, undeniably the best in their field, undeniably quote unquote, have their SHIT together. 
that they need a break sometimes too, or that even when a gold medal is what's up for grabs, it can still be the right decision to step away. I think that grants permission again for, you know, if a lot of us can get into the space of, oh, like one more email, one more day. Let me just do this for one more day. Let me do this one more week. Let me do this two more weeks. Or let me just push this 10 minutes or an hour. I'll get to that later. It really puts things into perspective of, okay, um, Simone could have said, you know, let me just one more gold. Let me just go out that like I've, I've trained all this time. Let me just pull through or pull myself up by my bootstraps. And she made what I imagine was a very difficult decision to say, you know what, it's uh, it, just not worth it. Or B, sometimes, um, you know, if the stressors really pick up, you're putting yourself in more danger than the possible rewards really are worth or that can really compensate for. So I think that definitely, you know, invested into the conversation around mental health at large and um, was a really powerful example of how we can use any privilege that we have or any platform or any community that we have to really forward the conversation, practice some humility and vulnerability so that the people around us who look up to us, and that can be anyone, we all have those people, no matter who we are, can feel a little bit of that connectedness and a little bit of that permission to also, you know, take a breath and, and regroup. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And kind of going into the future state now, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you and my well-being? Yeah, always. <laughs> so we are live in four states right now for therapy matching. We're live in New York, California, New Jersey, and Florida. We will be expanding for therapy matching to a lot of states. So stay tuned. Follow us on social at Find My Wellbeing or on our website at mywellbeing.com and you'll get all of the updates. And um, we're really looking forward to partnering with more companies as well. We saw a really big increase in our company partnerships and brands partner partnerships over the last year and a half. And we're here and very happy to help with um, bringing stronger mental health resources to teams. And the last thing I'll say is this May, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And this past May, we partnered with leading organizations like Bleacher Report and STARS to raise funds specifically for free mental health support for people of color, led and facilitated by providers of color. So every other month, we're going to be releasing new group topics for those groups. And the groups there are completely free, completely free for people of color to attend and participate in. So I do recommend following us and keeping in touch about those so that you can apply and be accepted to the group that's the best fit for you. Amazing. Well, that is incredibly exciting. So congratulations on the continued growth. Final question. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur, what would you share with them? Great question. About a hundred things come to mind just at the question, but I would say to do some reflect. So one thing I would say is to keep a log of in the moments where you feel your strongest or you get a compliment or a high five or a good job or you get a shout out or testimonial from users or from your teammates, log those and read them often and be your biggest advocate for believing that those things are true. Because anytime you try to recruit or hire or retain or manage, anytime you go to fundraise, anytime you go to sell your product, 
knowing that you are the right person to be at the forefront of this company or this product or this team, knowing that this company product team deserves the funds that you're asking for, can turn the thing into the vision that you have. You have to believe that first unwaveringly and you need to surround yourself with the support system that's able and willing to remind you of that when or if you lose sight of it. Because entrepreneurship, like anything else, like acting or like going out for a gig, um, you can face a lot of rejection. So if you anticipate that, you can surround yourself with the reminders you need to endure it and power through and thrive. Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you, Alyssa, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out My Wellbeing for a truly personalized experience of mental health and wellness. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.